0: Love
1: Talk Radio
0: Choices, decisions Frustrations and pain Knowing I'm going To forget her someday
2: their hearts
0: and understand that I
2: Well, hi everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host Lori LeBay and founder of Alzheimer Speaks. I am so excited about today's show that I am just about ready to burst. And uh, before I get into our guests and what they have to offer us today, which I think is going to be just life changing on so many levels, I want to tell you what Alzheimer Speaks is about uh, because we are always getting new listeners, and we encourage people to be collaborative and. Share our resources. That's that's what we're all about, raising voice and enriching lives and, and sharing the knowledge. So at our core, you know, we just really believe that collaboration and working together, we can really win this battle against dementia. And we know through our multiple platforms that we've developed, the radio show, the blog, the resource website, the Dementia Chats, um, a webinar platform, and and so many others that, that we are making a difference because I'm hearing from you. And this isn't about Alzheimer's Speaks. This is about all of us around the world joining hands and truly making a difference at a grassroots level and grabbing attention, saying this can't continue. There are better ways. And learning from one another and being creative and not thinking that there is going to be a magic pill that's going to fix us. This disease affects us on a much broader scope than any other disease um, that we've run across because this affects everybody, families, friends, and coworkers. And so we need to help people today in the trenches. And, again, I would love to see a cure for this disease, but in the meantime we have to work together to make a difference. And there's lots of organizations out there um, who who feel the same. Us Against Alzheimer's, uh, Alzheimer's Disease International, um, so many, many others. And then small companies like myself and individuals, we can all make a difference if we join hands together. So um, with the show today, I, I'm going to be shocked if you don't just absolutely love it and want to run out and tell everybody about it. So what I'd really appreciate you doing is helping us raise awareness. And you can do that by liking us on the homepage of the, the radio show. You can tweet it if you have a Twitter account. You can email it to a friend. You can download um, the podcast if you want um, and embed it in your site and share this information. This is what it's all about, again, working together. So um, today, the way, and in every show, the way our platform works is if you are listening by your computer, you can, if you uh, signed in via Facebook, um, you can communicate with me via the chat box. And I'll try to field your questions and your comments, or you can always call in live to the show. We love it when our guests call in live with a comment or a question. And um, that number is 714 Three six four four seven five seven. That's 714-364-4757 And our um, channel expert Rick Phelps um, had contacted me earlier today, and he was going to be listening. So he's probably not going to make the show live. But we we have lots of people who um, have dementia as well who will be listening. And again, we love to hear everybody's voice. Um, care partners, both family and professional. So with no further ado here, let's get rocking and rolling in this show because, again, uh, we have some really exciting news that I think is going to be very helpful to so many who are dealing um, with dementia, and this is also a tool that can be used not just with dementia, which even makes it uh, even more exciting. So my first guest is Barbara Brock, and Barbara owned and operated a children's art studio for 17 years. Her interest turned to the elderly when she realized the process by which children learn and the manner in which people with dementia seem to forget are related. Her dedication to improving the lives of those with uh, living with dementia led her to develop two dementia-specific person-centered care tools. One is the standard assessment. I called the Reality Comprehension Clock Test, and the other is a social model known as Dementia Population's Gift of Purpose. Now, I have actually had the opportunity to just go through the training for the Reality Comprehension Clock Test, not because I foresee myself um, you know, administering these tests, though I could now, um, but I wanted to know kind of the, the guts of the assessment. And how it worked. And I have to tell you, I have never seen anything like this. It is extremely comprehensive. And the knowledge base that we can get from a picture when it's assessed through this research data is absolutely incredible. And it will be able to change lives. So, um, Barbara, how are you doing today? I'm just so thrilled to have you with us.
1: I'm doing fine, Lori. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, I just, um, like I said, I am just bursting at the seams after going through your your training. Um, and when I get excited, I get excited. I can't hide it. That's just who I am. And I have been telling so many companies and organizations about, um, about this assessment. And so, you know, why don't you tell us um, a little background as to you know, how this came to be. How did you, you know, how did you come up with this reality comprehension clock test, and why did you think it was important to develop in the first place? And then we'll get into what, what it is.
1: Okay, thanks for the opportunity. Um, actually, like you mentioned, I um, had a art studio for children, and um, in my community in Toledo, Ohio, uh, they had built a 100% dedicated Alzheimer's facility. And uh, so I kept thinking that, wow, those individuals uh, would enjoy drawing pictures. And, uh, n- you know, not any healthcare background at that point. But, uh, long story short, I ended up uh, conducting an art class there. And then I was looking at how they would draw uh, different things. And I thought, there has to be some kind of way. that that we could have, you know, um, uh, just a one focus on one drawing that would give us some more information. Didn't know anything about uh, other clock drawing tests out there. And so just created a picture of a clock and uh, we started using that uh, on residents and patients that were coming into the Alzheimer's uh, long-term care facility. And Um, There was a master's, or there was a student there, uh, yes, a master's student working on her doctorate, and she said, uh, you know what, my professor would like to talk with you because we were looking at, wow, they crowded all the numbers to the right when they drew their clock. And when I would look it up in the research and look up the symptoms and try to make that match, we found out, I would ask her, you know, did this person have a little stroke? And sure enough, when we would go to look, um, they had had a stroke. And on and on and on to where now what Lori experienced yesterday in the class was that it tells us when they have an infection. We can uh, find out if they're functionally incontinent. But the most important part when we standardized it, and I finally met with her professor, um, it took us four years to do that. It's standardized out of the University of Toledo, um, Its inter-rater reliability for all of your all of you researchers out there is 96 to 99 percent, and then across the country, a good assessment comes in at 40 percent, and this one come in at 86. So uh, very easy, uh, family friendly to understand, and it's the only cognitive assessment um, in the Alzheimer's Greenfield Library as far as clock drawings. Um, there's lots of clock drawing tests out there, and it kind of gets you know clumped into that. Oh, I learned about a clock drawing test, and a lot of you know healthcare facility or healthcare professionals will roll their eyes. And um, like Lori said, no, we need to really impress on everyone why this one is different. So it was created. Uh, lots of healthcare uh, professionals um, know about the Folstein Mini Mental that we have used for years. But with the exception of drawing the hexagons, it's really language-based. And now the um, Centers for Medicaid Services has the MDS 3.0, and inside that document they have what they call the BIMS, the Brief Interview for Mental Status. Now, with that said, Lori said, why did you see a need to develop this? Because in those initial... Um, drawing classes and art classes with this population of memory-impaired people, I found out they had a lot of brain power left that we could tap into. And so the RCCT was designed to pick up where those language-based assessments leave off, and still today. And so in our training, the most important thing we have to learn is that dementia affects language, and memory, but it affects it on different levels at different times. So just because a patient sounds okay doesn't necessarily mean they think okay. And just because a patient doesn't speak because their language skills have been affected so by the dementia doesn't mean they don't have the power to think. And, you know, we were very, very excited about it.
2: Well, it's it is it is so exciting, and it it makes so much sense, and it's you know it's cost effective, and it it helps not only um, with staff interaction but families, um, and it can reduce liabilities and I would think staffing costs because you're going to be able to get rid of some behaviors, um, and and unwanted reactions and be able to address them. Being able, you know, to figure out these issues, so I was just so so incredibly impressed at how this works. And I have, to, you know, I it made me laugh because I'm, I, I like I shared with Barbara, and I'll share with the audience. I am part of the Minnesota Memory Project um, here in Minnesota, where I go in once a year and I, I get tested. And you know, and I I, I do the things, and, and there's there's different pieces to it, but I never really. Thought how deep they were looking at what it was I was doing, and it's making me look much more serious at things. And so, and I don't even think we do the the clock test on it. But when um, you know, if that would have been part of it, I would have like zipped a clock on there, and I wouldn't have thought twice. In turn, I would have never ever. Ever thought they could get the information out of a drawing as to where I'm at with something and how I'm doing it? Um, because you know I, I probably wasn't as um, anal or as focused as I probably should have been with it. So it it it's making me you know um, look at it very very differently. And I think this test, which is which is so fabulous, where. You know, hospitals could be using this in clinics because it's not just dementia-specific. Um, you know, it could help with uh, sports injuries that we're seeing um, and so many other things of people at all ages um, that, that keep coming in to be um, more and more of an issue over time. One of the... Um, One of the uh, impact slides that Barbara has in her training program, which I thought was really powerful, was we had gone through an assessment and we knew um, a a level um, that somebody was truly functioning at, and there they were sitting in a car. And the question was, should they be driving? And it became so clear, even though this person still had good language and social skills, you know, that mask a lot of times what you know, what the cognitive abilities are. We get wrapped up in that, that, well, they can carry on a conversation. And I think that that is really frustrating, and I hear that all the time from people that have dementia. People say, well, I look okay. I sound okay. Um, and this really is able to pinpoint and show people why, um, you know, things aren't clicking in other areas. Um Let's get into um the assessment itself a little bit more. Can you talk about the breakdown and, and kind of define for us this functional age and um potential memory deficits and and so forth um when sure it enough. comes to when it comes to the test itself. The assessment.
1: Okay, thanks Lori. I think um when you're talking about the clock um uh, test in general, I, I want to start there and clarify why this is different, because I would would be sitting there as a listener going, yeah, I've heard about clock drawing tests. Um, What makes this the gold standard of clock drawing tests is that, number one, uh, it comes in a little pink copyrighted test booklet, and on the back page there is an example drawing of a clock. And then there's a blank page underneath, and the individual is asked to replicate and Put their rendition of the clock on the blank page to the best of their ability. the second part that really is why Lori's excited because it gives us all this data that then leads to appropriate care and interventions is that it has a valid and reliable scoring method method inside of it, and that's what she learned to do on the first day of our training and then to address what you're saying well. All right, you want my my aunt by the way, is in fifth stage dementia, so I'll refer to her a little been working in this uh in the field of aging for a long, long time, and up to this point, haven't had you know a family member who's who's experiencing dementia, but you know um when they give the results or you're I'll back up when someone's saying, "Well, I think Barbara, you should have your aunt uh, be tested on the reality comprehension clock test." And I go, why? What is it going to tell me? And so that's what Laurie is asking: is that um, the data that comes out of it is the first thing? I'm trying to change the dialogue out there that when you get a new patient, family physicians, uh, facilities, hospitals, even new clients at daycare, um, I would, I think you should, I know you should put it at the top of your list to ask what's their cognitive factor. And that's made up of three things. That's made up of their functional age. I call that remaining brain power. How much brain power do they have left as a result of this dementia to process what we're all trying to say to them or to you know get them to understand. And the next is the stage of dementia. It will pinpoint it precisely as to what's Stage they're in. And the third is the falls risk. We all know that elderly people, yes, are at risk of a fall, but this will throw up the second red flag that says they are in a serious or severe situation for a fall. So I want to go back and talk about um, these three things in the uh, cognitive factor. And I use I stood up in front of many, um, you know, audiences. I'm a national and state speaker as well, and always say, how can you take care of my aunt? How can you make a care plan if you don't know how her brain's working? And if you know that she has memory problems, why isn't that the number one question you ask? How much does she understand of what I'm saying? And we have it wrong." We, we do an excellent job of looking at their physical condition. And, of course, it's always, you know, years ago, and it still is prominent, that we look at the physical issues. We're not looking at the cognitive piece. And now when patients come in um, to those different types of facilities, especially in the hospital, we're trying to have a big impact on diminishing re- readmissions in the hospital as to Uh, First, let's find out how much brain power she has left. Because the problem with readmissions is that, like Lori said, um, they, they sound okay. And my aunt was recently in the hospital. She could answer yes, no, okay. And then every once in a while the dementia would kick in and she'd go, and what time can I go home? You could just see this. Uh, seven years of processing ability kicking in. And they were giving her long names of medications and schedules and what she should do because they are in a hurry to discharge her. And, um, you know, not once um, they might have asked, do you understand, and her answer is yes, and uh, went home and actually experienced the readmission. Ten days later she went back because she wasn't following the medication schedule. Hello? When we did the RCCT, she had seven years of brain power. That's all the brain power she had left. And then the second thing is the stage of dementia. And when they tell me, Barbara, your aunt has stage five dementia, our question would be, well, what's going to happen to her? And so we go through, and our test um, uh, is in coordination with Dr. Barry Reesberg's Global Deterioration scale, uh, scale. And we go through that with the family member. Um, if that's pertinent at our staff, we go through and identify how many of those things my aunt has experienced. So we're really able to educate and bring all of this information together so we're all on the same page at the same time. and. Then we look at potential memory deficits. Why did they draw their clock that way? Why did they crowd all the numbers to the right? And that was what Lori experienced yesterday when we looked at various drawings. We looked at one with tunnel vision. And, you know, if they had tunnel vision, they certainly weren't, their peripheral vision was coming in and they certainly uh, now weren't seeing things out to the right and left of them. So when people come up, it startled them. But I maintain that as healthcare professionals, I believe in this, and this is such an awesome, powerful tool, that you really can't even begin to want to make a care plan or take this person into your care if you don't see how they draw and then have that go through this RCCT so you come out with that data to make appropriate care plans. And uh Laurie said the impact slide of the grandpa sitting in the car behind the wheel and then looking at his picture which happened to be his drawing was the one of all the numbers to the right which is left side neglect. Um you know it's a uh, from a, a stroke or a small TIA. Um so he doesn't he has a left side field neglect when he's driving and doesn't see anything on the left side. And these people turn left into oncoming traffic. Also, you can apply that, that if you look at uh, the face of the clock where those numbers are all to the right, and you can see where he didn't draw any on the left. If that's his plate of food, he doesn't eat any of the food on that neglected side. And there's a simple intervention. You just simply turn the plate But with that said, if you don't have a cognitive, I call it a cognitive read, if you don't have them draw this test for you and get the score, you have no way of knowing that.
2: Yeah, it's it's incredible how this can be utilized. And, you know, again, it's it's low cost. Um, You know, the training is... Uh, not that time consuming. You know, I spent four hours, there's still another portion that we'll talk about that I that I haven't taken for uh the, the social piece um that they have but extremely cost effective and simple to do. And you have your training is really um quite good. I mean it's and I'm a trainer so I, <laughs> I assess things pretty tough. And, I mean, you really have designed it very well, easy to understand and apply. And if somebody forgets something, there's um, simple resources to be able to go back and refresh. But um, how this could help for intake for hospitals, um, how it could help for admissions uh, to communities um, and assessing, you know, uh, moves within Um, You know, should somebody be living alone? Should somebody be driving? Are they capable of taking their pills? Um, You know, do they have an infection? I mean, it it is absolutely amazing. And it's not, you know, it's not um, an overwhelmingly um, heavy academic stance where it could get confusing and there's, you know, big words and, you know, it seems really complicated um, you have really done a nice job of breaking this down <clears throat> to speak the people's language so the professionals and the families and the friends can all understand what's going on and the beauty of, of this is, which is, you know, part of my mission with Alzheimer's Speaks, is to get people talking the same language so that we can communicate. You know, so that we are all on the same page. And we're able to see where we've been and where we're going um, to, you know, administer this on an annual basis or a quarterly basis or when there's an issue. And to have that resource on your staff or in your community um, is really pretty cool uh, to be able to do. I just even think with um, emergency staff or with EMTs and stuff, sometimes they get called out or the fire departments get called out on on things, too, that may or may not be a true emergency but can run into this issue. If there was a reference um, point, it could help help guide them because the families would better be able to explain where things are at and have a copy of it. So it is very, um, very exciting. Um, can you share with us uh, a little bit about... Um, how do I want to say the, some of the impact or maybe some of the stories that you've heard from uh, from people who are administering the test, and then maybe uh, also from those you know family members kind of responses that you're getting to the test.
1: Um, well, we have a tremendous response uh, from uh, healthcare professionals that we train. Um, we also offer a free support uh, counseling uh, service, consulting service, uh, they can take the individual's name off the test and fax it over to us, and then we will help them. We're always there to help them look at these potential deficits and help them with any scoring. But, you know, there are um, many, many families who this test really helps them answer some very difficult questions, and and I don't think a lot of them – uh certainly uh, intentionally are in denial but as this slow disease process comes by or comes upon them families get used to doing things for uh a, you know for their loved one and so the question is well how much does my mom really understand and then how capable is she of caring for herself and uh, you know, lots of families hadn't thought that she might be uh, unsafe or, you know, in some danger at home. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, that I was talking with before is how do they understand um, the instructions they're giving when they're leaving the hospital and and the horrible experience that my aunt went through uh, in going back to the hospital was just what Laurie was saying, and you're right, Laurie. Um, it's about um, it's about people coming into the ER and not being aware. Um, we had a slide in our impact slide that the gentleman's clock drawing was three circles on the piece of paper, and he put numbers all over. And then here was a picture of a young doctor talking with the patient, and Dr. Reesberg's research, he, he wrote an article one time uh, about and stated in that article about their um, their uh, language becoming limited down to where they're only using 10 or 12 words. And that was kind of, you know, this guy, the doctor would, would be telling him, yes, okay, fine. And so they're really not understanding that. And that one has quite an impact because if that family physician had you know, been able to see this test, exactly what they what they drew, and uh, then there would be some scores and data and information. We have what we call the RCCT cognitive reporting form that our students are trained to use. Staple that to a copy of the clock drawing, and that's the piece that, you know, we're really uh, pushing out there to educate um staffs at hospitals, family physicians, uh, and even share with families. But it red flags the cognitive areas for the hospital right on that form. And so then this doctor could see that. And, you know, you're looking at that impact slide, and this young doctor who likes elderly uh, people, he's, he's decided that's the, uh, you know, the segment of the population that he wants to work with, but doesn't have any idea. How the gentleman's brain is working, and you know, I think it's it, it, well. I'm I'm just passionate about. You can't take care of them until you know how their brain is working. We've been missing this vital piece. Um, you have to start with that if you're going to take care of memory impaired patients.
2: Very true. Very true. It's um. It's incredible stuff. Like I said, I, I don't. I mean, I get excited over things when I when I uh, when I see them. But I'm I'm really excited about this because I just see uh, the multiple levels that this could be used and how this could change the way we give care and the way that people understand how to give care. And um, it really takes the burden off the family of trying to figure out what's going on or why and and really, um, you know, states it in a, in a very, um, I think, compassionate fashion in terms of, you know, this is the process of the disease, and and then you also outline, okay, these are the things that have have been lost, but these are the things that are still there. So how do we work with these things? How do we make quality of life better? Right, and, and now, go ahead. Oh, go ahead.
1: I I thought you that. You were asking about the dementia population's gift of purpose. And the RCCT has its own intervention, and that's what Laurie's alluding to. Um, it, it triggers right off from the assessment from the RCCT to our brain exercises. It's actually a curriculum of brain exercises that is designed on the, according to the results of their RCCT score it will say uh, there's three areas of difficulty, high, medium, and low, task, and it will say that my aunt, if her score is 43, she's capable of doing the second uh, level of brain exercises because those three levels are designed to meet them right where they're at in the stage of dementia that they're experiencing. Um, We have a big problem across the country with our activities because years ago, activity professionals were hired uh, to entertain them. And that has totally changed because the population of people uh, that we're caring for has changed. We really need uh, brain exercises that they can understand and that they can be successful in, and uh, it really is aimed at, Diminishing uh, the behaviors, the anxiety, the frustration, um, you know, the anger that uh, the patients go through, and um, you can see that it comes. Those programs come with their own evaluation, so you can monitor um, how my aunt's doing. And our our um, corporations and facilities that are using it, we've changed the dialogue up to say we're going to. Uh, recommend um, that you enroll your aunt in our brain exercises with Louie. She's the person who's completed the training. She's the expert. And then we're going to monitor participation. And that will trigger back to, oh, my gosh, she drew the flowers upside down and all over the page. That would then immediately trigger us to look at what might be going on and do another RCCT and go back and find out maybe it's just the dementia has taken hold and it's taking us down another step. Or maybe it will show you when she has a UTI. It will show you when she has an infection. Um, And, you know, those can really affect our cognition. And this test uh, is so sensitive. That a lot of times it will pick that up, that infection up, before we have. Now, yes, we have a lot of savvy healthcare professionals and nurses out there who can read, um, you know, their their uh, residents or their patients' um, um, body language, or they do, you know, something specific, and they'll go, "I, I'm, she acts that way when she gets a UTI," but it would show you when their sugar spikes. Um, we can. Look at it, and Lori was saying it really leads to a lot of care. For those still caring for um, their loved one at home, like the sample of where the left side neglect was and all the numbers are crowded to the right, if you lay their clothing out across the bed, and every morning we have this argument about mom putting on her slacks, it's because... If you have it across the bed and that's in her left side field neglect, she doesn't see those slaps. She's not trying to be mean or stubborn or argumentative, but it really does, like Lori said, bring um, help to families and caregivers, and that's, you know, across the board. Uh, facilities and hospitals, I know we train occupational therapists. Um, we train all therapists, but um, I visited a hospital a few weeks ago where we trained uh, one of the gals in OT. And it looks at, uh, it will also show you progressive supranuclear palsy, which is where they draw it way up high in the page, but the palsy's in their eyes, so they don't see anything below. And that was the sample this um, recent student had uh, brought for me to look at when I visited the hospital. And she said, oh my gosh, no wonder we can't get her to do this and do that. She can't see it. So that's the power of it and um just one more thing, Lori, um as you've seen yesterday, it is very family friendly. It is mm-hmm. very easy to look and understand what the certified um RCCT test administer is telling you.
2: Yep. Yeah, it really it really is and it's just uh, it still amazes me the the knowledge out of the drawing and how to look at things and um, interpret, um, even with my dad, um, my dad had brain cancer and you know all of a sudden he couldn't write very well anymore. I would have loved to have been able to give him this test and to see how he did and you know the formation of things and the placement of things is so critical to what's going on in the physical body. And yeah. um, we don't really realize that you know it the, the you know anything from depth perceptions to strokes to tunnel visions to um incontinence now that's an, another area that this uh that this test can really help with and can you give an example of how um how that can help people deal with incontinence and how that works via the test
1: sure um well we um standardize Um, the research for the RCCT and proved that it was able to identify functional incontinence, which is dementia and incontinence. It's a big problem. And um, it come in with the statistical numbers of when uh, that patient is no longer able to understand uh, and comprehend the two-hour bladder programs that we're trying to put them in. And we had a sample in the training Lori took of a gentleman who had excellent language skills, but his clock drawing was kind of all over the place. And, of course, um, you know, looking at him physically and basing it on how he sounds, not how he processes and thinks, they put him on a two-hour bladder program. He was combative. He didn't understand when the aides you know, would come and try to gently guide him into the bathroom and get him uh, on the toilet. And so it would escalate. Um, and, of course, you know, we do everything possible um, to um, uh, try to diminish that, that combativeness. And then the end result, when nothing else works, um, we bring on, you know, some drugs. And we are missing the mark totally because this will identify um, the most you can get on the test is 67. When you get to a score of 15, which is very, very low cognitive um, brain power now, it says he is not um, able to understand. He's not a good candidate. And I think vice versa. Um, You know, we have lots of people who would score higher, uh, that we probably have in uh, cognitive pro- or cognitive products that we wouldn't need um, to do, and that's expensive as well. Cognition is a very very delicate thing, and and so Lori, um, you know, took the time to get online. We teach this four hour class in two segments, two hours on a Wednesday and two hours on a Thursday, and I'm you know thankful for the technology that you can get it from the people who created it, standardized it, and are experts at using it and teaching you.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was amazed just at the, the little things that were said during this whole training thing that is so standard where, okay, someone's incontinent, so they're on the two-hour program. And it was very blatant. They they can't be on the two-hour program <laughs> You know that's not gonna that's not gonna work anymore for them. Um, you know, or they can't. Uh, you know, if it's a family member at home, they they can't take their pills. And this is why. And and then these are other ways to be able to to work around. You know what it is that we just you know kind of go down that checklist of okay, let's try this, let's try that, and it's it, we're, it's much more of a crapshoot than it needs to be. Oh, when yeah. this test is utilized, and that's the beauty of it because how frustrated do we all get doing the crapshoot, you know? And, and it's nice that we have all these tools and these ideas, but if we could cut to the chase and make the quality of life better for the person living with dementia as well as those that are caring for them, I mean, what's more beautiful than that? True. True.
0: You know,
2: it's just... Um, can you talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> you, t- you touched on this, but um, describe in a little bit more depth the the brain power and the, the you know the functioning age and how um, how that works because um, we had some discussions even in the training session you know about that. Um, we did.
1: Well, like I said in the beginning uh, when you asked why we developed it, um, once you've administered the fullstein Mental or the BIMS, the Brief Interview for Mental Status that's, that's in the MDS-3 uh, from Centers of Medicaid um, Services, um, where else is there to go? We're not, you know, we're kind of just left there. And, again, it's all language-based. They have other tests out there uh, as well. Probably people have heard of the slums. uh It's language-based, but this test is cognitive-based. It, you, they do not have to have language skills. In fact, we have a piece published uh, by the statistical uh, professor who helped us with the RCCT. He went on to publish a piece, um, you know, that you can do it with uh, even um, different groups, uh, different language groups. And uh, so when you look at what the power of this is, it's looking at the functional age, and it will tell you that in years and months. And I think functional age to families sounds clinical, so I always use, you know, we're going to give your aunt this test, Barbara, and it's going to tell us how much brain power she has left as a result of her dementia. And, uh, but the test screens up to eight years and seven months, simply because in our research... And we included in that research a group of children as well as elderly and elderly with dementia and so on. It's in our manual. Um, But children eight years, eight years old, eight months old, and, you know, on up nine, 10, 11, 14, 20, could all draw it perfectly. So there was no reason to test uh, children further. And it screens down, if you get a score of one, to four years, seven months, because children at Uh, Below that, four years, six months, three years old, two years old, couldn't put anything on the page that we could score. So no reason to go any lower. So if my aunt's test score, RCCT test score, is 43 in our manual, and Lori used it, there's actually a table. You don't have to do the lengthy calculation that is down in the corner that shows you how you can get there for all of you who like math. But you look up 43, and it tells you precisely how many years and months or tenth of a year of brain power she's working on. And the same way with the global deterioration stage. It will do it to the tenth. It will tell us if my aunt's score is 43 that she's in the fourth stage and she's seven-tenths of the way through that. That's how precise it is. And then once we have all the standardized data finished, all the scoring finished, then we look and teach our students to look for why did they draw it that way. Because that's a great big part of the care plan now that we're going to uh, prepare. And in their care plan, we are going to have uh, a cognitive part along with the physical part. And obviously, makes sense that we would start with the cognitive part, like turning the plate. We would need to get dietary involved. That would be a part of um, their care plan uh, is to turn the plate. Make sure you don't put the liquid um, up in the uh, neglected field. Otherwise, she won't stay hydrated. We need to move that. When therapists are setting up things uh, to work with their clients and their patients, um, if they have that picture and that um r c c t cognitive reporting form they know how to customize their therapy. we're missing a lot of of individuals with dementia who could really benefit from therapy if we had these cognitive results
2: yeah i I totally agree totally totally agree it's um you know it, it's just it's such a nice um option. Um, And tool to be able to utilize that again isn't complicated, isn't costly, and has multiple use and uh, multiple multiple benefits um, with it. That uh, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's it's not near the cost of a of a PET scan. Um, You know, no one has to really get out of a uh, uh, their environment. You know, to go be pushed through some equipment or Die shot into them or any of those types of things. It's just sitting down at a table, drawing a clock and assessing it. And in what's the time frame? Like half an hour?
1: Oh, for the sometimes, test? you know, 15 to 20 minutes
2: mm-hmm. it would
1: take for them to draw. I just, you know, made a little note as you were talking, Lori, because, um you know, our elderly population, obviously, um you know, that's the most of who now we're seeing at the hospitals. but. We really, even if they're not doing this um, test or they don't show up with results that somebody's tested them with the RCCT when they when they get to the hospital, we really should administer it when they leave, when we're discharging them. It should be a part of that protocol, uh, the and policies that we have at discharge. That way, they would have picked up my aunt's um, uh, cognitive. Uh, ability that she didn't understand anything they just told her about her self-care and, uh, you know, her instructions of going home. So that's going to be powerful and huge to use uh, when we're discharging them.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of the, I think, biggest frustrations that families have. You know, it's like, what are they sending them home for? You know, this isn't going to work or... You know, you're just going to have a much better care plan um, no matter where they go. Um, Right, and And, and
1: it was pretty evident in the impact slide of uh, one gentleman put all the numbers up in the left-hand side and then he drew circles around all of them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, here's this nurse trying to explain to him how to take his medication when he goes home. Or maybe she's explaining that to him in the doctor's office. My aunt with dementia quit taking her blood pressure medicine and ended up in the hospital. So we yep. really, really have to have the cognitive information.
2: Yep, yep, definitely, definitely do. Well, I want to throw it out to see if we have any people that are interested in calling in, because I would imagine there's people that have some questions, and I would okay. love to be able to take those questions, or you can utilize the chat box as well. I know we have lots of listeners. In fact, somebody emailed me and said they couldn't get in, so I don't know if we've blown up the system or watched <laughs> the day, but we have... We have lots of people on the line, and I would love to um, hear from you. And Barbara would be more than glad to answer any question that you might have um, regarding the the assessment. Um, in the meantime, do you want to talk about the, the kind of the second piece, that social interaction um, piece that you've developed along with the assessment? And okay. um,
1: It's called uh, the Dementia Population's Gift of Purpose. It has six um, brain-stimulating exercises, like I said, on three levels. And uh, I had mentioned that it really needs to take the place of, you know, what we're doing now. Even for those facilities who have dementia units, uh, we'll probably all uh, attest to the fact that we do have memory-impaired patients in the general population, and the old adage "nip it in the bud." Uh, all the research articles that you read on on uh, therapeutic um, activities will tell you: the sooner that we can benefit and get them started and participate in those, the better. I like the monitoring system. Um, I call it grade cards. Facilities can, you know, recommend uh, that they put um, their loved one in these programs and then um, give them uh, this grade card, if you will, of how their mom's doing, because it wouldn't be long and I'd go, hey, Lori, how's my aunt doing in that? And, you know, looking at it, monitors and it looks at um, not only their participation, but um, sometimes the behaviors uh, subtly and, you know, slowly start to go away. And we kind of get used to it and go, but wait, look how it was a year before. And also, if we could, Lori, before we have to go, could we talk about how to get trained?
2: Sure, sure,
1: please. Right? Um, like I said, cognition is a delicate thing, and a lot of people have asked us. We've been at this since 1999, and the questions come up more than once. Well, can I train Lori, and then she'll train a 100 of our staff? And, you know, the third or fourth training of that gets so watered down and what I'm alluding to is that it's nice that you can turn on a computer and get on uh, your workshop. It's very interactive. We only take eight or nine uh, students at a time. We teach it every week and um, you sit right in front of the computer and fill in the the scoring method. The instructor says, all right, Lori, what's your scoring box? See, and Let's talk about this. And so um, you're in with also a group of a mix of different kinds of healthcare professionals who are using it in their practice. Uh, geriatric care managers, uh, we have a big long list of uh, OT and private practice. We now have uh, people who have taken the class uh, administer it for attorneys uh, to establish guardianship or, or something, you know, problem that they have there. Um, so it's very, very easy and simple. There's a registration on our website. Or you can email me. Um, my information is—I uh, it, guess it's going to be up on your site as well, right, Lori? Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. But it's clockrcct at aol dot com, and you know we can send you a registration or talk with you or answer questions. Uh, but like Lori has ex- experienced, I love that it's broke up in two days. You can come to work if you're at a facility, Uh, get on at uh, 1 o'clock and take your workshop. You're off at 3, go back to work. And all of that kind of sinks in, Uh, I was telling her last evening, and you kind of, you know, subconsciously or consciously thinking of it and having some questions the next day. But the good part is that by it being broken up, I have a fresh brain the next morning with new answers and excitement like you hear in Lori's voice, and um, so uh, we've been offering it online for five years, and I I really like it. I thought I was going to miss the classroom, but this really gets all your questions answered, and the instructors do a wonderful job.
2: Yeah, they really do. And again, it's it's real easy for us to think that we can train the trainer, but it's so important mm-hmm. because it's- the details that come out during this and and. Um, the description and the examples shown of and the tricks of how to interpret the different pieces of the drawing is critical, and that could easily easily be lost. Um, someone is asking a question. Harry's got one. What is the probability of getting the wrong data? Would the data change from day to day? Good question. And, and Harry is somebody living with dementia. He's got. Um, yeah.
1: Well, he's he's exactly right. You know, we have good days and bad days. And I think uh, what you want to do is try to, uh, if you're seeing that, if one day it drastically changes, then maybe we could get in a pattern of doing it uh, every Monday uh, for a couple Mondays, two or three Mondays, until we really see that it's settling down and, you know, we don't have any physical issues. You could have them on a day, you know, when um, their blood pressure is high and, you know, something's being affected. Because everything does affect our cognition. But for the most part, um, uh, from the first one to the next one, if we don't have any of those issues, the data would be correct. And, And what you'll find out is when people use this, they'll call us back up and say, you know what, I did this other assessment and I did this one, and Barbara, when I look at how they're acting and the behaviors and the stage of dementia... It exactly predicted what is happening with this person. So thanks, Harry.
2: Great, great. Yeah, well, and we had talked about um, and when we did the test, there was a few of us online, and we all interpret things just a hair different. But mm-hmm. we were pretty darn close, and the margin for error was explained to us mm-hmm. in terms of how to do this. And the other thing that was really um, wonderful was one of the trainers said, you know, I used to be kind of more sympathetic going, well, I, I know that's what she was trying to do, you know, and we can't interpret it like that because, right. you know, that that doesn't work because it's really about the functioning level, not if someone's trying or not. And then we defeat the purpose. And, and what was explained was now, we, now we're putting them in a higher functioning level that they're going to be more frustrated with. Mm-hmm. And, and you I know, think... Our, Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you are just explaining that um, you know there's no points for effort or sympathy. <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. award those, and and you did a good job of it because if you let that get in your way, um, then to answer Harry's question, yes, that's wrong. So the training does an excellent job because Lori learned. She's telling you what she learned, and you know why it's important. It's a pretty straightforward yes or no, black and white test. They either put the number there or they didn't. And uh, once they see the importance of that, don't you agree, Lori, then you see that I'm not going to let my heart get in the way. I'm going to grade this just the way it says.
2: Well, yeah, because it really is about um, about the person, and you want, to, you want to give them the best level of care, and you can't do that if you're not truly being um, objective, as, as objective as we all can be. Um, right. the other thing was you know we had discussed about 'cause you're you're observing somebody, you know there were questions of well, if they did it this way i would have i would have um graded it here, but if they did it this way, I would have graded it this way
1: mm-hmm.
2: um you know, and so I mean, there is some interpretation, but it was amazing how close right. we all were because it's so well defined oh, in right. terms of of what it is you know you're looking for, yeah um, Could with be, and
1: the iterator reliability, which means if we put 10 people online and teach them, what's our chances of us all coming up in this statistical range of 96 to 99 percent? And we all came three points one way or the other within the range.
2: So, Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: if you have the education, it's it's pretty uh, sound.
2: Yep. Yep. Definitely. Well, if you want to, um, I, we need to wrap up here. We only have a couple of minutes left, and then I need to um, pull in our second guest, who I'm really excited to have on today, too. Do you want to, again, tell people, Barbara, how what the best way is to connect with you? Uh, sure. It's The email
1: is clock, C-L-O-C-K-R-C-C-T, at com. Or I don't mind that you call the number at the office. It's 419-865-6131. I'll give that in, a, in just a minute. I'll give it again in case you didn't get it. I just wanted to make mention, because we talked a little bit about what my project is and where I'm also trying to get them to use this, and that is in sports, because a clock drawing of an individual, um, of an athlete who's experienced a concussion Um, can be drawn along the sideline, and they can determine, um, number one, what his visual-spatial skills are. Can he see where he is in the space that he's in? But number two, it will immediately give them data as to what the impact of that concussion was so they can make a quick decision as to whether he should go back in the game. At this point, the protocol that... Um, they have across the country, and people are getting on from high schools and all the way up to, you know, professional uh, sports, is language-based. They make an observance, um, you know, physically look at them, and then do a balance test. So just what we've learned in this brief, short time, what were they missing? They're missing how his brain is working. And, you know, with our technology today, they could, when they're giving physicals for... Uh, say, soccer, Uh, all the children or all the uh, sports figures could um, draw their test, we could put it in our iPad, we can bring up what they drew at the beginning of the season and even compare it with what he just drew sitting beside me on the sidelines. So if anybody's connected to sports, you know, we really are looking for schools who are interested in using it and trying it and seeing if it's going to help uh, keep our athletes safer. So thanks, Lori. Here's the information, again, to contact me.
2: Okay. Uh, the phone
1: number is 419-865-6131. Um, or you can send it to the email, at com. We also have a website, and that's where you can see some of these impact slides. I think the one that Lori mentioned is on there about the driving. Um, it's clock test, and then you put the RCCT at the end, or if you just type in reality comprehension clock test in your browser, you would get it as well. But um, on the website, if you click on power of the RCCT or clock drawing examples, you'll see a lot of what Lori's describing. So I appreciate you having me.
2: Well, thank you for joining us, and I I really hope your your phone and your email just blows up with people wanting to get this information because it is absolutely incredible, and I think it can change lives um, on all levels. I think it can make everybody uh, much more person centered and be um, more understanding of exactly what is going on with this disease. Um, So, again, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure we will stay in touch, Barbara, okay?
1: Oh, we will. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and God bless. Bye now.
2: Bye-bye. I want to introduce our second guest, who I am just as thrilled to have as I was with Barbara. Um, Carmela uh, Moreau is the Director of Activities and Volunteers, and ever since uh, she was young, she basically has been drawn to the wisdom and the charm of older individuals. And for her, working with seniors and activities has been her one moment in time where, you know, that's all she wanted to be. And at 16, she had a um, an incidental run-in with a nursing home activity calendar, and she says, you know, the first words out of her mouth were, I could do that. So, um, You know, as they say, the rest is kind of history for her. Um, Outside of raising five kids, um, St. Mary's Care Center has held her heart for the past 18 years. Uh, She has a liberal arts degree, uh, graduate coursework in gerontology, and studies towards uh, an MA in pastoral counseling. And her greatest interest is the spirit and soul of each and every one of her residents. Her favorite programs are the Whole Heart Worship Service, Um, and she shares uh, this with residents on memory care and encouraging life engagement um, through the SMCC Dreams program, which we're going to talk about. So welcome, Carmela. How are
0: you doing today? Oh, very well, Lori. Thank you so much for having me on, and um, I appreciate your time. Uh, Well, I'm I'm
2: thrilled to have you. You're doing some great, great work. Um, but before we get into, you know, some of the things that you're doing at St. Mary's, can you give people a little bit of background? Have you personally been touched by a family member or a friend with dementia? That's always just nice for our audience to know.
0: Um, we didn't. I didn't really have um, anyone with dementia, but I did have my grandmother, who was very, very close to me, and she went through a period where she had suffered a series of strokes and was unable to communicate and basically um was very much non-responsive verbally or even physically um and during that whole time i used to wonder well where is my grandmother and It was really hard because it wasn't the same person that I always knew, and I think that happens a lot with dementia. And at one point, I had a dream, and in this dream, she came to me, and she was still living at the time, so it was interesting. In the dream, I saw her in her bed as I was knowing her at the time, but then she was also standing right next to me, and we were looking in the mirror together, And I looked at her and I said, well, Grandma, how can this be? How can you be here and then still in your bed? And in the dream, she looked at me in the eyes and she said, you see what you see, but I am more than what you see. And ever since then, I have such a longing to reach in and touch that part of Individuals who may not be able to communicate and who may not be the same person they once were, so that is my passion for reaching out to people with dementia.
2: Well, what a neat story that is you know i I love that that's very very cool mm-hmm. um, well why don't we I, I'm going to have you give a little um background too so people know a little bit more about um St Mary's care Center. Um sure. if you want to go go ahead and just give them give our audience kind of a brief description of, of what you have to offer there.
0: Okay, well we are a non profit um skills nursing facility and rehab center. We um have a memory care unit which is um as I we have forty six people on our memory care unit and we have hundred and eighty four residents in total. Um and our Our goal here is to help people to live the best life possible, and and certainly that is the goal of most, if not all, long-term care facilities as we are really looking at person-centered care. And um, as we... Look more into, you know, people come and they live here. They don't just come necessarily for just a real short time. This is their lives. And in everybody's life, we have 525,600 minutes in a year. And if someone comes to live here for two years, that's over a million minutes. And we've even had residents who have been here 10 years, and that's 5 million 256,000 minutes of their lives that we're being entrusted with. And every minute has to count. So our our key thing here is to look at how can we make those minutes count and how can we make sure that their lives are still being lived. Um, we're not a waiting room. We're not an end of the road. We are a part of Whole life, and so that is how we approach um, what we do here. Um, our mission is um, through our exceptional healthcare services, we reveal the healing presence of God, and we're about making peak experiences for our residents.
2: Wonderful. Well, good. Well, let's kind of dive into what you do. Um, you know, we we all know that we really need, or we all should know, that we really need to look beyond the physical realities, into the depths and, and kind of complexities of, of each individual before us. So how do you recognize, you know, the spiritual needs of those that are no longer able to really express, you know, their, their worship in words? How do you, how do you start?
0: Well, um, certainly um, having a personal history and a life story is um, a key component, um, especially we rely on family, et cetera. But beyond, once we have that type of knowledge, it really is in um, spending time with the individual. It's in um, seeing what the reaction is. And because spirit is more than religion or dogma, spirit is that internal soul of each individual, and you really cannot get to know that unless you spend time with someone, unless you are willing to be quiet with them, to look deep into the reaction that you receive. Um, and it happens over time, and it's relationship. Um, you can never develop a, a good Component of worship or that spirit, really without the relationship, and when we do our whole heart worship that I do with them at ten o'clock on Tuesday mornings, the benefit that I have when i I reach out to these individuals is I already know them, I've spent time with them, and I am able to bring their life and their qualities into that worship and that is really very important so for example um, if we're talking about being thankful I can um, help them in bringing up parts of their lives and saying you know Irma um, your wonderful family or whatever it might be and help bring that in Um, that's a real key part of reaching into. Um and I would really recommend Naomi File and her validation therapy, she really hits it on the head. There's um a well known um YouTube video out there right now about Gladys Wilson and if you watch that YouTube um episode you will see how she transforms Gladys Wilson from being so inward to to being in one with and in sync spiritually with Naomi. And the two of them are together because Naomi uses some of her history by knowing that um, songs like Jesus Loves Me was real important to her. And then she works with spending that time with her, looking her in the eye, touching her, and then working with her own rhythm with Gladys's rhythm in order to bring Gladys home to who she is.
2: Yeah, that is a one of the most beautiful videos and powerful videos of what she does in a few minutes time is absolutely incredible how she just awakens and connects. Yeah. And the joy is just so pure and um again like you said it's it's about being able to be quiet and slow down and just connect not it, it doesn't need to be busy you right. know but in our society we we feel like it needs to be busy you know busy means we're doing something and and that isn't always a, an accurate um picture
0: absolutely
2: um, now um when it comes to um how do i don't want to say this um sensory and emotional and, and spiritual memory. How do you how do you optimize, you know, a level of engagement with that? How do you reach residents on a memory care unit um when they're unable to understand verbal cues?
0: Um touch and music um are really the key components. Music has a way for all of us. Um to bring us back somewhere. Um, We've all experienced it. We're walking somewhere, and all of a sudden, or in the car, we hear a song, and it's from, let's say, your first crush in high school, and it's amazing how all of a sudden it's like you're there, and all those feelings come back. So music is um, really one of the key ways, and um, certain smells, like from the church, and when we're in um working with and for us primarily um our residents are from the judeo christian background, and things like the smells of candles the um the familiar songs and prayers are things that touch deep down um inside and it's really great. So, for example, um, I'd like to end with the amen, um, amen, and it's really interesting because you will have people who might have been quiet for much of the service, and they will follow with those words, they will sing them, they will clap with it. it. It awakens something inside that brings them back to where they once were. And that is what is completely important. Um, Even, and it's interesting when you see tears running down their face or their ability to listen to cues such as to open your hands or that kind of thing, And, and you look around and people are doing it, it makes you realize that, Everyone is connected, and we're all there together. And it, it's just really important. But touch is really the key component, always.
2: Yeah, yeah. And like you said, all of those, you know, pulling in all those other sensory modules, you know, trigger things. Um, mm-hmm. And that's pretty incredible to see come come into life. Do you, do you use, uh, like, incense at all? Because I know, you know... I'm Lutheran but I used to when I was young. Go to go to the neighbor and they were Catholic and they would have the incense. They used to drive me sinuses crazy, but um do you use that as a trigger for
0: people at all or? Um that and even um I find actually if you light a candle and then just blow it out, it mm-hmm. leaves that lingering smell. And
2: oh, that's a good one. I never thought of yeah. that one.
0: Yeah, and um even here, if we do a service in our our main chapel, when they blow out the candles, it leaves that smell, and it it it's the same smell that a lot of people are familiar with from church. It has mm-hmm. that smell.
2: Wow, yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good good thing. What about um, in terms of touch, you know, like hymnals and, and things like that? Is that yeah. something that's that's used or?
0: um song books and mm-hmm. um hymnals and then also um for people um who used to wear head veils the lace um that feeling of putting that on your head mm-hmm. so things of that nature also um and different just materials that feel like um altar cloths and 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 again it's such a personal thing that it needs to be um, really looked at with a, a life history because what may create a sense of memory for me doesn't necessarily create a sense of memory for you. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's um, a trial and error, too. And we cannot control everything. I think, you know, you talked about that busy component like we think, oh, it's working. If they're busy, it's the same thing with um, that sensory memory component. It, it, we can, we cannot control it. It's such a evasive type of thing. It doesn't mean we don't try for it, but we just don't ever know completely. And so, as uh, practitioners, we have to trust as well that. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is making a difference on some level, and we don't not do it because we don't see results right away. Mm -hmm. Because in time, then we start to notice the subtle, oh, she's happier. And and we, we ask people, do they want to come to the service? And they will say yes or no. And it's important that we honor that as well. And and it is very interesting because um, there was one resident who would say, is it time for the service of the angels? And for a while it was like, I I wonder why he's saying angels. And then I realized it was because we had angels um, on top of the fireplace in that room. So even though we don't always know what people cue into, they're creating their own sense of how and why it's important to them. So it's mm-hmm. that, really kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, very, very, very much so. Um, now, when it comes to, you know, dreams and wishes, of because you know, we all have them. I, I don't care right. what, what age or stage we are, um, how how do you deal with a person when they can't recognize their their wish or dreams on an intellectual plane you know how do you incorporate that that dream um you know into uh into a residence care plan i know you've got a program for that called um uh you know dreams take flight
0: yep and um we are in the process of um um and the abram Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, um, when all the real basic things are being met, and then they talk about self-actualization, and then he has added a new component called peak experiences. And I think that that is important um, within those 525,600 minutes that we bring about things that are still peak experiences. And so for dementia, they can't necessarily say, you know, I want to go sailing or I want to do X, Y, and Z. So we pull in certainly advice from the family, et cetera, but we also have to listen to what residents are saying, what they're searching for. And often on a dementia unit, there's people searching for things. And if we take the time to listen to what they're searching for instead of kind of sometimes it's really easy to brush it off like, well, we don't have that or that, not or try to distract them. Um, and we have a resident, um, her name was Marie, and for a long while she kept saying, let's go. And so um, I would say, well, where do you want to go, Marie? And she'd say, to the dance. And, of course, she would say it to me in this way, like, um, don't you know? I mean, catch, catch up with the program, type of thing. And so I was like, okay, you know, I, I put dance music on or whatever it was, thinking, you know, but that wasn't enough for her. And she wanted to find a dress. Um, she wanted her nails done. And then it was quite humorous because any eligible or what she perceived as eligible man who might be around was, you know, fair game to be date for this dance. And so um, I thought, well, gosh, she really wants to go to a dance. And when we were talking about our dream program, I thought how can we get her to a dance with a date, dress her up, et cetera. And I, I didn't know if we had any real dance halls in the area that would fit her type of music, So I thought, what if we had a dance here? So we um, enlisted some uh, of the UW um, Naval ROTC. And um, we enlisted Belly's Flowers. They donated the roses. And we created a whole dance around Marie's dream. And it was really wonderful. And Marie got picked up. By a naval officer, and he brought her a rose, and we have these beautiful pictures and of her dancing with her uh, her uh, military officer, and and it was really wonderful. And I don't think after that she was really asking to go to the dance anymore. So I like to think that for that evening she was Cinderella, and her prince came to call. So that's how we heard her dream. And it really is listening. Um taking the time like Naomi File talks about validation. Being with them in that moment instead of trying to push it off or speak about reality. Mm-hmm. So that's how we really listen for dreams. Oh neat.
2: That's that's neat. How how many how often do you do dreams? I mean, do you have like one a month that you do or just as they come up or depends on the dream or how does that depends
0: work? Depends on the on the dream and as they come up and as we get referrals and we're currently working on um in general, um, helping residents to articulate or find their dreams because um A lot of them come from a generation where they didn't always think about uh, that what they might call a pie in the sky type of thing. So Mm -hmm. we're we're training people actually how to dream a little bit more and be willing to say what they might want. But um, we do it as needed. A lot of our dreams, oddly enough, or maybe not so oddly enough, have focused a lot on food, and you know. eating certain things, Um, that's what people tend to request at this point. But we've had someone go sailing. And um, the main thing that we've been learning from our dreams is that, number one, um, pursuing dreams leads to life engagement. When you start to think that you can do something else, you you become more engaged in life because things become possible. Um, the other part is that um these dreams become traditions. We are not um a last wish type of thing. This is about engagement. So, for example, one of our first dreams was a woman went sailing and um she was able they had a special lift got her into the boat. So she went in two thousand and eleven. She went again this last summer in two thousand and twelve and she's already planning to go in 2013 so it's about tradition it's about helping people see that things are possible so um, we're really working on we have one resident now wants to go skiing so we're looking into different areas where we might be able to um, have a special type of device where he can you know go maybe on a small hill or something and then we have another resident right now who wants to fly in a small plane. So we're currently looking for um, an airplane that he can go into and they can kind of lift him into. Um, so if anyone knows of someone where we can take a resident who's in a wheelchair skiing or where we can get someone up in a small airplane, that would be really great, so um, but yeah they as they come up, we really work at trying to make them happen
2: well, that's neat that's that's very neat now, um how does you know one of the things that I want to talk about is when you do these dreams, how do you communicate that to st- to staff and to family in terms of involvement how is that is that shared
0: um, yep. <clears throat> so and that the- um Currently, um, certainly um, in our new employee orientation, we um, tell about them and that I I always tell them how to listen for the dreams and that we really want that type of feedback. Um, We talk about, and the gentleman for the seeing, that was talked about at his peer conference, because um, the social workers know about it, the nurses. um, We've been talking a lot about it. So that's brought up um, at care conferences, perhaps, so that way um, families can put their input. Um, Then we also, right now on Facebook, we have a um, Facebook page, St. Mary's um, Care Center, and um, we have to list, Ideas on there, so we're communicating in that way. We have the hospital foundation has just helped us to raise money, and they raised um, a little over $20,000. So now we have that money in our dream fund so that if things come up, we actually have some money that we can um, access. Um, so that's how we communicate it through our newsletter, etc.
2: Oh great, great. And you know, if you know like with this dance and stuff, is that something that families are invited to be able to, you know, participate in and
0: Oh yeah, to... absolutely. Okay. And um especially for example when um Marie had her her dance and she the family came and they were part of the, the whole process. Um mm-hmm. and then we have that also has turned into a tradition. So um we had it the one year um in twenty eleven and we just had it again in twenty twelve and we named it um the Red Rose event. So um and now it will always be um unfortunately Marie isn't with us anymore but um it will always be in honor and memory of her. Because she wanted to go to the dance, so we're able to carry that out every year now okay wonderful well that's that's
2: neat now, you also do um a collaborative um you know effort or you've got a collaboration idea with the um University of Wisconsin in terms of um creating change and it was like a summer institute can you? Um, tell us uh, you know what the name of that is and, and what you were looking at there, what you did.
0: Sure. Um and actually um that was the UW Milwaukee. Um okay. and and facing is um a big part of that. It's a training and it's about collaboration and it's about the arts. And I spent this past um summer um for four days and there were um people from all over, um, there was even somebody, a few from China, Canada, and throughout the United States. And we were learning about how to create change in our organization through the arts. So that way, um, what you're doing is you're bringing in the families, the community, the residents, the staff together so that you create um, a unity and you create a sense of fun so that life becomes more than just the caregiving. It's about what is out there that um brings a sense of self fulfillment. Um Anne Basing worked with Luther Manor originally, um and they did um and they worked also with the Sojourn Theatre Company in order to create a play about um, Odysseus um, and Penelope mm-hmm. and it, their core thing was about waiting and so they created this big production with the residents and it, it brought a whole new aspect to their lives and even residents on their memory care unit that created such a, um imprint that they were able to want to be there and an example they gave that still stays in my heart was a resident um, whose wife would come to all the rehearsals and they um, were going to have to miss one because she thought he wasn't feeling well and he never really said much but on that day when his wife was saying to him well perhaps we won't go today he gave a very firm, affirmative, I want to go. And so for that family member to see that type of engagement when it wasn't always there was just really amazing. It was something that was heartfelt, and that's what we're working on right now here, um, creating our own um, play with a collaboration Um our play um in going with our theme of dreams and to help residents um come to grips with who they are and, and wanting to search for dreams is um our, our production that we're just starting called um got dreams. We're just in the audition um and rehearsal phase putting it all together. Um I and I met a woman there, her name is um Doctor Joan Cole, she's from Rockford, Illinois, and mm-hmm. she's part of a theater group that she founded called H. Quake Theater, and um, she has her doctorate in theater and older adults, so she works primarily with older adults in the arts, so we're working with her, we're working with um, our Alzheimer's and Dementia Alliance of Wisconsin. And there are two of their members, um, Daniel Tai and Pat Wilson. And they're part of their education and family caregiver, um, groups here in Madison. And they're mm-hmm. going to be partnering with us to work with, um, including our memory care residents in the production and helping them to, um, participate to the fullest capacity. Um, So we've been working with them and then Edgewood College, and we're working with their students to help us with the play as well as family and other volunteers. And we even have a few staff people who have auditioned and want to be a part of the play. So it's really fun. fun. Yeah.
2: What a nice way to connect, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and just on so many levels from, you know, Staff and families and community um, at, at colleges. I, that's just very, very neat. You'll have to keep me posted on that. Maybe I'll have to run over there and
0: check out the show. So that would be. Oh, yeah, and that'll be in May actually. We already have our performance dates that um, we're going to end our nursing home week with it. Um, so that Friday, May 17th, Saturday, May 18th, and Sunday, May 19th. We're going to have two o'clock performances um, all three days, and it's going to be um, a great way for us to collaborate, to reach out to the community. Mm -hmm. And it's about um, really helping everyone see that it's never too late to dream, and the wishes and parts of who we are, whether we can express them verbally or not, are key and they're inherent in who we are. And they don't go away, no matter how old we are. Sometimes we may suppress it and think that it's not there, but it is. And as a community, we need to see that. And we need to treat our elders in that same way and and look at how we can make life the very best possible up until the absolute very end and that is really very important oh, definitely. certainly my passion
2: yeah and i can <clears throat> i think that's just beautiful i love that's what i love about my job is getting to yeah. you know hear all these cool things that people are doing all over the world and it ignites other people to give them ideas of how they can work and you know, be collaborative and, and change the world, change our dementia care culture. We can really do that together. It's it's happening already um, yeah. on so many levels. And all of a sudden I'm losing my voice here. Yeah. <coughs>
0: well, and as Hillary Clinton had said that um, it takes a village to raise a child, my mm-hmm. mantra is it takes a community to build a life. You know, mm-hmm. we're not living in silos and They need everyone to be a part of their life. And it opens their world when we have different people connected. Yep,
2: yep, for sure, just like it does the rest of us, you know. Sure, absolutely. None of us us are are different. So, yeah, it's very, very important. Well, are there any other things that you wanted to um, share with our audience that you're doing over at St. Mary's Care Center in Wisconsin?
0: Um. The dreams really takes up a lot of our time right now and we're um that, and we're working on connecting more families together. We you are working with um a company called um H D Connect and um he um started a special you know, Skype is certainly very popular among people in communicating with families from far away. But um mm-hmm. with our Easy Connect um T V system here we connect a camera to the H D television and it's really um an easier way um to there's not a big computer component on our end. The family might work with their computer but it allows residents to stay connected with family from far away. And so we're real excited. We just started this, and um, we're excited to see the expressions on people's face when they see the grandchild take their first step or, you know, see an old friend from years ago. So that's one thing that um, is very exciting about not just what we're doing, but the world in general. We don't have to be so far away. We can connect. Um, on a, a closer level um, through technology nowadays. So that's our other exciting project. But overall, we're just here to create peak experiences for our residents. Okay, well, wonderful. How do people get a hold of you if they'd
2: like to hear more about your initiatives? Um, I'm assuming you'd be open to, to chatting and, and um, talk with oh, others? Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. um they can um, either call me. Um, my phone number is 608 845 0582. You can like us on Facebook, um, St. Mary's Care Center. Um, we're in Madison, Wisconsin. And they could email me, but that's a mouthful. Um, you can just go ahead and look at our um, website, which is www dot Saint Mary's Care Center at law one word dot net, um, so those would be the, probably the best ways, and then they can email me through the website.
2: Okay, and if they're interested in going to the play May seventeenth, eighteenth, or nineteenth, could they get information from you on that, or is is that something yep. that'll be um, on the website? and that's going to
0: be that's posted on our Facebook page. Okay, and you can certainly call or look at our website.
2: Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It was really interesting hearing all the the fun and creative things that you're doing to engage and really um, reach in and have that depth of connection and that in, that importance. Um, I just I love hearing this kind of stuff. So thank you so much. And um, tell everybody in Wisconsin, I say hi. And, all um, right. <clears throat> And I'm going to see if I can work that into my schedule. I've got some tour dates that I, I they might be in conflict with, but, but I'll see. Well, I we would love to work.
0: have you, and thank you for your time, and as always, really nice talking with you.
2: Okay. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Kamala. You too. Bye-bye. All
0: right, thanks. Bye-bye.
2: So in wrapping up the show today, I just want you all to know um, that, again, I, I'm just so excited about all the different initiatives that are taking a place around the world and the difference that everyone is is making by working together it's so fun to see and you know i only wish that um 30 years ago when i started on this journey with my mom that we were where we are today and i know we're still not where we need to go but we can get there you know together we we will get there so don't don't lose hope there's a lot of neat things going on And if you have some ideas that you're working on That you'd like to share with the world Get a hold of me, shoot me an email You know, Maybe you'll be the next guest on the show Um, Again, it doesn't make any difference if you have dementia If you're a family or a friend or a professional Or a researcher or an advocate um, It takes all of us working together on this Um, I also want to always mention um, Alzheimer's Disease International If you are looking for resources um, in your area, Alzheimer's Disease International um, lists all of the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So you can go ahead and, and tap into them, and you can get to them on um, my website at alzheimerspeaks.com as well with that. And, again, I'd like to remind people, if you enjoyed the show, if you felt it was valuable information, please share it on your Facebook. Please, you know, like the show and tweet it, um, email it, download it. Um, But, you know, don't let it just stay stagnant. If it was important to you, you know others that it would probably be important to as well. And then this uh, coming Tuesday on the 12th, we'll be doing the Dementia Chats again, which is a free webinar where I interview people with dementia those have been extremely powerful. Um, we're getting great feedback from that, so I would love for you to uh, join us on that show. I know Harry Urban will, will be with us on that particular show, um, as well as I believe Dina Dotson will be with us. Um, I think Steve is not going to be able to make it, but we'll just we'll play it by ear. It's always a, a wonderful time with great information. Our next show will be on the 12th, and I'm going to have Ron Coberson, who is a humorist, and he's actually the um, president of the National Speakers Association. On, And he is really going to talk about living successfully with dementia. And then on the 18th, we'll be having um, Dr. Bill Thomas with us with Changing Aging and the Eden Alternative. That will be really a fun conversation. And then I'm also going to have somebody on talking about drumming. So we've got some wonderful shows um, scheduled and coming up. So I hope you uh, stick with us. And um, again, have a wonderful weekend. And thank you all so much for sharing this time with us today. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys,